0: You're listening to F&B Soundbites, a podcast where we cover hot topics, trends and challenges of interest to professionals in the engine room behind the food and beverage industry. I'm your host, Hamish McCook. Today, we're bringing together engineering industry professionals from Black & Veatch and from Becker Limited to talk about a relatively new technology set and food application that has the potential to transform the industry. So I'm joined by David Ziskin from Black & Veatch. David leads the next gen ag project management and engineering teams for the global engineering firm Black and Veatch, helping companies solve manufacturing scale up challenges. So, David specializes in risk mitigation of high risk and fast track projects, ensuring that clients can achieve their business objectives on time and on budget. David resides in Atlanta, Georgia, with his wife and three boys. He enjoys the outdoors and is looking forward to traveling again. Welcome, David.
1: Yes, absolutely.
0: Definitely
1: looking forward to traveling. Thanks, Hamish. Great to be here. And thanks to you and the BECCA team for inviting me on today.
0: Hey, not a problem at all. So we're also joined by Rex Johnstone. Rex is a technical director in the industrial team at BECCA and has years of experience working with food and beverage clients. But for Rex, food is as much a passion at home as it is at work. So during lockdown, Rex enjoys experimenting in the kitchen, creating his own yogurt and roasting his own coffee. Welcome, Rex.
2: Yeah. Hi, Hanish And thanks. Thanks for inviting me onto this program. And it's really great to be here. And I'll enjoy discussing this really interesting and somewhat futuristic, but maybe not so futuristic topic.
0: Thanks, Rex. And hey, Rex, I do look forward to enjoying some of that coffee as well. I have heard good things about it. Okay, so Uh, keep up the good work You're welcome.
2: Next time you're down.
0: (laughs) Sounds good. (laughs) Today we're talking about cellular agriculture, cultivated meat, clean meat cruelty-free meat. We're talking about one of the most difficult ways to produce a food product, but one that's getting a lot of press, a lot of focus at the moment, and a lot of capital investment An increasing amount of capital investment. So from a food industry practitioner's perspective, this is a really difficult way to make protein. To get the ball rolling here, I was wanting to get your thoughts, and maybe we could start with you, David, around what's the real value here in cellular agriculture?
1: Sure, Hamish. So you know, you said very difficult way of making it. I'll say it's certainly challenging. I think just because we haven't made it before, but I'm confident, you know, as engineers that we're able to figure this out and we're able to get to scale, figure out how to make the cell-based meat product at scale, really start driving down some of those costs to make it more appealing from a consumer standpoint.
0: Okay, we can do this. But why? What's driving this? Why is there investment going into Cell Egg at the moment?
1: good question and you know you're certainly right from a capital standpoint it just seems like every time you open up the news there's a new investment a new technology a new company i think we finally realized that from a uh, from an overall food industry standpoint you know perhaps our current food system is not necessarily sustainable whether it can't grow to feed a growing world population i think a number of people are now realizing that something something has to change in the way we manufacture food. And I'd I'd really say, Hamish, that it's truly food manufacturing. Even when we look from the animal agriculture side, you know, today animals are essentially call it factory produced, if you will. Right. A lot of those aspects are controlled from cradle to grave, from the production, the growth of the animal, what they're fed, how they're slaughtered, how they're packaged, things like that. So, I think the the cellular agriculture industry brings a lot of neat things to life here. Some of the things that it, it brings to life is this availability of food in different places. I know there are companies that are working on not just food here on earth, but looking at, hey, how do we make meat in space, for example? So I think cellular agriculture, it opens up the opportunity of where meat can be made, where meat can be produced. I think it gives you a cruelty-free, if you will, opportunity to create meat. You're still manufacturing meat, if you will, but you're doing it in a cleaner fashion. Potentially, you have more control over, say, certain pathogens than our current cycle. And from the sustainability aspect, it's really got some interesting plugs. You hear a lot of metrics and statistics on what it takes to produce a hamburger, for example, you know, it takes so many gallons of water, it takes so much grain, so much food, what, whatever it is, it's really maybe not that efficient of a system. So I think cellular agriculture provides us with another option, another opportunity, and it's really excited to see where it's going. Great summary, David. I mean, Rex,
0: what do you think?
2: I'll just pick up on a couple of points there. I guess the global demand for quality protein is, is definitely on the increase. And nobody's really interested in putting more animals out there. That's definitely seen as sustainable. Maybe keep what we've got, but not increasing. So the cellular agriculture I see as a way of increasing production of quality protein you know, without significant land use change. And that's a key driver and a key differentiator from, say, other alternative proteins, the plant-based proteins, you've got to grow more plants, but here it's done in a factory. And it's not just simply mimicking the real thing. It's actually making the same thing, but in a different way. And I think that has a lot of appeal in terms of the desirability and nutritional benefits of what would be produced in the end.
0: Thanks, Rex. That is uh, exactly right. So, I mean, it's a pretty compelling case that you both make for cellular agriculture, actually. It's going to help solve a lot of the current problems and it's going to create some new opportunities as well. But at the moment, it's still pretty new and we've got a number of companies growing into this space, but it still feels like a blue ocean or an open savannah to me. It still feels like there's a lot of opportunity for companies to grow and to capture a particular niche or a particular market or to market to a, an angle. But I do see that no one's really cracked it yet and been able to create a low cost, competitive product that's going to clearly displace meat. So I am interested in what are some of the barriers or the constraints that cellular agriculture would need to overcome to create commercial success? David, what are your thoughts on that?
1: Hamish, I think a few barriers that cell-based meat, cellular agriculture needs to overcome, certainly as you hit on, the cost piece is very important. I think most people will be willing to try something at a a slight premium price, but if you're talking about replacing something you buy for your family on a regular basis, uh, you're probably not going to be buying that food product at a 2x cost, You know, certainly not at a 5x or 10x cost on a regular basis. That just doesn't work for the majority of people out there. So I think driving down that cost is a real crucial one. I think we'll get there. But as you mentioned, you know, the industry is so new, the technology application is new, that it's taking a little while to get there, figure things out, try to get to that right parity piece. I also like to talk about from a cost standpoint, you've also got different subsidies in the food system. You know, I use the example here in the United States, we have certain subsidies, say, for example, whether it comes to corn, soybeans, even animals, So there there are certain subsidies in our food system that come into play that may be even artificially lowering the cost of those products. While at the other extreme, you've got these new cellular agriculture technologies that are trying to break in at a much more premium price point. So cost is, is certainly a barrier. Consumer acceptance, I think, is another, I don't know if we'll say barrier or challenge, certainly one that can be overcome. But I think people getting to the standpoint of understanding that they are eating a product that was grown in a lab, in a bioreactor, perhaps is a little bit of a different paradigm shift or a thought. But you know, it's interesting. So to go off on a tangent for a moment, Rex mentioned making yogurt, right? So one of the thoughts I've heard is, what if you have your own little bioreactor in your kitchen, for example, and... Sort of like a bread maker. One day, instead of making a loaf of bread, you're preparing yourself a hamburger, right? It's certainly going to be a paradigm shift.
0: Quite right. That's interesting to think about the parallels between yogurt production or traditional fermentation relative to production of these protein cells and how similar, but also how different they are. Rex, what are some of the barriers you're seeing, mate?
2: Yeah, thanks, Hamish. I'd like to pick up on a couple of things that David mentioned there around cost of production and scale up. If you can get scale, the cost is going to come down, but that's a huge challenge. And just to To give listeners a little bit of an idea of how much of a challenge that is, the Good Food Institute did a bit of a hypothetical study and said, well, if we wanted to replicate 10% of the global meat market with cell-based meat, that market is 40 million tonnes. So if you hypothetically built all the factories to do that, you'd need 4,000 factories each producing 10,000 tonnes per year of of cell-based meat. And these are not small factories. There are 130, 10,000 liter reactors in each factory. So that's a huge challenge. I and mean, it's not gonna happen all at once, but that just gives you the idea of the scale up that's required. And not only in the factories themselves, you need to supply the feedstock and that feedstock to feed the cells needs to be sustainably and ethically sourced. So there's some big challenge to get there.
0: Absolutely, Rex. As an engineer, I do like the idea of a lot of new factories. Uh, they're uh, they great fun to be involved in. That's for sure. In the design, construction, and operation, there's something else. I thought I'd mention that we're going to need some new capabilities as well. So, young people who are maybe in high school or Going into college, new in their career, you know, they'll need some interesting, different skill sets as well to support the development of the technology, but then also to support the commercialization and creation of the more industrial facilities and making sure that they're sustainable as well. So, you know, this has got the potential to be quite transformative. So we've talked about the why and we've talked about some of the barriers. So I guess. We've got you together because you're two of the the experts in your relative parts of the globe. So what are some of the key pieces of advice that you'd give to one of our listeners that might be um, either within a current food company thinking about getting into this, or maybe they're a listener that's actually already involved in cellular ag and they're wanting to scale up? What's some of the key suggestions that you'd make?
1: Hamish, I think a few of the ways someone can really... Make an impact here is thinking about from a scale up perspective, understanding that when we say scaling up, this is not a simple double the recipe type approach, right? You know, the scale generally does not go linearly. There can be a fair amount of experimentation that takes place. So, as opposed to a traditional food product that we sort of know the process, we know the chemistry, here's how it's made, here's how the process system works, cellular agriculture. Being a lot newer has those scale-up challenges, not knowing, needing to do some scale-up experiments, needing to take those steps from the, we call it science to engineering to commercialization. So taking those steps from the lab to the pilot scale, then pilot to the commercial scale in order to do some of those scale-up experiments and figure out what those challenges are. Rex had also hit on from the infrastructure piece, understanding all parts of the infrastructure. So from the, I'll call it traditional infrastructure, understanding what are your water needs? What are your power needs? What is your wastewater discharge profile look like? For example, down to things like what's your media strategy? How are you starting this process? What's your feedstock? What process are you going about? One of the other challenges as well is the structure piece, the scaffolding, what are you doing to build that piece of meat that, for example, looks like a steak as opposed to just a mash of cells? So what are you going to do from a scaffolding standpoint? What's your strategy there? Is it edible scaffolding? Is it sustainable? All those key aspects there.
2: I'll just jump in there, um, Hamish, um, and add my my thoughts. Um, thanks, David. Um, I see there are opportunities. There are real opportunities for existing manufacturers to get involved. In, and I think it's at the research stage. It's getting involved with those local institutes who are researching this field, supporting them, because it's going to be an additive business. You might be a producer that's producing traditional food products now, but in the future, it's going to enable growth in that business and to produce new things and, and get you know, the market excited about new things. And I think We're looking at, well, what's the end goal? We're looking for high quality protein that's at a cost that the average person can afford. But I think on the way there, there's going to be an opportunity to market niche, high value, tailor-made protein products that are going to be really nutritious and meet specific functionality and nutrition requirements that people may have. So there'll be a stepwise process to get there from research through to initial products to then the mass produced products.
1: Rex, to your point, I think there are some neat opportunities there with production of or bringing back heirloom animals and different meats, right? That maybe the average person hasn't had or some more exotic meats that maybe we can harvest in a sustainable fashion today. I think it could be a neat opportunity with the cellular agriculture to be able for more people to ethically and sustainably try some of these more unique meats and proteins.
0: I think something else that... Um I'd like to add into this is that one of the things that people need to do is look for partners, look for friends, develop networks in this. The technology and the supply chains you'll be developing are complex and you know there, there won't be a single organisation or a single individual that will be able to actually have all of those inherent capabilities. So in the same way that Black and Veatch and Becker partner up from time to time to help solve clients' problems, this is what I think you'll need to do as well is develop your network in research in infrastructure, in legal IP protection, et cetera, et cetera. I've enjoyed the discussion that, that we've had today about this, this growing and interesting topic. And I guess I just wanted to leave an opportunity for David and Rex for you both just to perhaps leave some final thoughts with our listeners about this sector and, and your perspective on it and what they might do. So David, um, again, if you want to lead off for us.
1: I think this is a really exciting time to be in this sector, a really exciting time to be in in cellular agriculture for companies who are scaling up, for people who are going to be consumers of this product. As you mentioned, there's a lot of opportunity, even from a new career standpoint and a growth standpoint, for people to become involved in in cellular agriculture, whether it's the very technical bioprocess research and development, all the way to the more traditional side of building factories, the more traditional um, chemical, mechanical, electrical engineering, things like that. So I think there are several opportunities to participate in this industry, to be a part of it. And just in general, I think the comment I'd leave for for someone who's looking to start a product or is, is building a company is, as we've talked through on this podcast There are certainly technical challenges out there and barriers, but I don't think any of them are insurmountable. These are all things that, as a background, we're engineers. We can figure it out. We can solve problems. We can make it happen. It's, of course, a question of time, of course, a question of money, but I'm confident that with all the neat research that's taking place in this field, with all the new ideas, with all the new companies, we are going to see a change in our food system in our lifetime.
2: Yeah. And I'd like to reiterate that kind of point. We're talking a 10 to 15 year time frame here. And I kind of look back and think, well, it's easy to be, oh, it's too hard. You know, or even go there. But if we took ourselves back to 10 to 15 years ago in our own lives um, and, and, and thought about would we have dreamed that we could carry around in our pockets, a device that would enable video calling, and that's now a reality. And even on this podcast, we're talking to each other over a video and in different parts of the world. And 10 to 15 years ago, that would have been just, no, that's too hard. But it's not. I totally agree with David. You know, set your, we set your mind to something. It's, it's doable. It's possible. Uh, it's too easy to be negative. And I'm saying don't be negative about this technology. Explore it.
0: That's great. I'm so glad we got two of the the leading technical and make it happen guys from across different parts of the world to talk about the subject and that you're both so upbeat about it as well, which is fantastic. Pulling those strands together, um, cultivated meat, cellular ag, cruelty-free meat, it's new, it's growing, it's exciting, and there's a lot of potential. There are some barriers, but if we get the right people involved, uh, we can resolve those issues and we can actually create the food system of the future that does create a much more sustainable way of providing nutrition to humanity. So just to wrap up, I'd like to extend my thanks to you, David, for joining us all the way from Georgia. Thank you, Hamish.
1: Great to be here. Thanks to you. Thanks to Becca and Rex. Really enjoyed our conversation today.
0: Great. And Rex, thanks to you as well for linking us up here today all the way from Christchurch, New Zealand.
2: Yeah, thanks, Hamish. Yeah, it was really great. Interesting talk. Nice to do this with you, David.
0: So thanks very much, everyone. Thanks to our listeners for joining us today. And I look forward to bringing you another episode of F&B Soundbites. Until then, as we say in New Zealand, hi and farewell.